loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired to create a deeper life to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming Michelle Hoffman, The Widow Guide. Michelle's an international best-selling author, master coach in life and business, and an effervescent, entertaining, motivational speaker. She empowers widows to be the parent their children need and have dreams of their own because there is more to life than just being the one who didn't die. When Michelle's late husband passed away, she adjusted her professional writing and consulting to more personal support. Clients say her hindsight gives them foresight. Her expertise helps families by developing the mindset and skills necessary to rebuild life during a vulnerable time, giving them the solid results to create a life worth living. She's on the board of several organizations, is a scout leader, and her Chamber of Commerce honored her with ambassador status. She lives in California with her children and Dalmatian Pixel. You can find her at thewidowguide.com. Welcome, Michelle. Thank you so much for having me, Cheryl. I'm super honored to be here with you and to, and to share my story with the listeners to see how I might be able to help them. Absolutely. I mean, for me, nothing, nothing helped me as much as other people who had experienced what I was experiencing because it sort of gives you that, that sense that there is something off there in the future, even if you don't know what it is. Um, and so I'm imagining that's part of what people find powerful with you is they know that you've actually been through it. I would hope that's the case. I think that's where my client was saying, your hindsight brings me foresight. And that walking the journey of widowhood is a unique and unanticipatable circumstances. We cannot prepare or pack for this with the unusual and surprising things that happen But now, as a widow guide, I see phases and trends in widowhood, like developmental stages that children go through when they learn to crawl and walk and toddle and run. There are developmental stages in widowhood moving from the depth of grief to living a full and happy life again. And I I guess what's particular about your book, uh, from my view, is um, how woven through uh, finding your own way forward personally and as a parent, how much those are woven together. Uh, I, I don't recall uh, off, off the top of my head another book that has them so woven together, which of course uh, impacted me since my kids were still, one was very young and the other was a teenager when my wife died. And that is a, mm-hmm. a all its own, isn't it? It really is. Uh, I didn't, I, I mean, I met my husband on a cruise with my cousin, and I were at the wrong dinner table, at the wrong dinner seating, and my cousin and his best friend were getting along beautifully, um, and here was this other guy, and during the course of the conversation, I must have checked off everything he was looking for in a woman. 
and I didn't realize that. So he was in love at first sight. It took me a couple extra hours. And, That's exactly um, my, that my night, story with my current wife. That's funny. <laughs> took nice. me a couple extra hours, nice too. To <laughs> a couple extra hours. But he was brave enough to kiss me on the dance floor. And I did what every man dreams of when he kisses a woman or, you know, a partner or a partner to a partner. And um, I laughed. And I'm sure that's not what he was hoping when he kissed me. But um, fortunately, he asked, so what's so funny? And I said, well, my whole world has just changed. It was as if the train had come off the track I was on and was now going toward him. And that's what I told him. And that really changed everything. Um, we were married about a year after that. And just as a coincidence, my, mar- my cousin married his best friend. So it was a very good cruise. Um, <laughs> Indeed. Where were, where were you? Where did you go? <laughs> what well, was the you know, cruise line? Funny because people ask, you know, where were you? And it wasn't a singles cruise. It was just circumstance. And, you know, where were you going? We were going to Mexico, but I don't think it would have mattered it was mm-hmm. just we were at the same point in our relationship cycle, and we identified each other for that. We had very, very different people, but all the same value systems, and that made for a perfect relationship. So then it followed suit that um, we got married, and we got the 0.5 in the 2.5 children on average that people have, and the 0.5, of course, was the dog. It was our first Dalmatian. We welcomed her in, and that. You know, we'd been married for a few years, and we were watching television, and one of those Goodyear tire commercials came on with the baby sitting in the tire. You've got a lot riding on this. And during the commercial, we kind of just looked at each other and said, so is it time for us to welcome a child into the world through us? And we both said, yeah. And that was it. That was a big decision right there. So your decisions came relatively easily. They were clear, and you knew what... What was that? Yeah, when the time was right, it was clear. I have actually figured out decision-making very simply, especially because when you understand what your priorities are, uh, you don't deviate from getting lost in the eddies of things. So I'm a really good person to go to when somebody needs help in decision-making. And this one, it was just the Goodyear Tire commercial. It was enough. So we welcomed our son into the world, and then later my now late husband says, you know, I know what I put in there and I see what I got out. Can, can I put a matchbox Lamborghini in there? I'm like, and no, <laughs> may not. Does this work with everything? <laughs> right. The magic box. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I don't know. We never tried it. <laughs> I'm okay. Not trying it. Um, And then at some point, he turned to his now, you know, it was about a year, and he turned to his incredible son he's so proud of, and he says, go play with your little sister. Oh, you don't have one. I'll make you one. And I'm like, wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) He might want to get you on board with that. (laughs) Well, I was totally on board. It was on our son's first birthday, which is really for the parents, you know. And we had like 70 people in the house. It's this big party. He says, come with me. He does the fatherly deed. And he says, you're pregnant. It's a girl. I'm like, you have got this all planned out, don't you? And then we welcomed our daughter in. 
So that is really how it worked. Um, that was kind of uh, the build-up of our relationship together and how we built a family. And it wasn't until, um, you know, he was 39 years old and feeling distressed. And, you know, he kept going to these doctors going, there's something that's not right. And at 39, they don't take you seriously for a cancer journey so much. Well, they didn't at the time. I think they do now more. Um, unless we got advice from a friend who's a brain surgeon, literally took a brain surgeon to say, tell them you've lost more than 10% of your body weight without trying. And immediately they're like, ah, colonoscopy. And mm-hmm. that's when our whole trajectory of our life went into a tumult. A different kind of and tectonic plate. Yes, that is exactly the right description right there. And it was at that point that we started what was a five-year cancer journey. And in that time, our dog had passed. And it was so interesting how inviting pets as loved ones and family members into our lives, but they don't typically have a lifespan as long as ours, she really showed us how to have rituals and traditions for death. We're taught how to acquire things in life. We're not taught how to let go. And our pet actually really helped us with that. Um, My sweet son, his first word was her name, and he wanted to be the last thing she saw. And we buried her. We said words that are in line with our tradition. And, you know, we followed our religious beliefs. And those are the things that brought us comfort there. Um, so it's, it's so interesting as we build relationships together, how we also need to learn how to live life fully up until the last moment and really maximize every opportunity we have in our one precious life. And... I would also say, having read your book, not to the exclusion, and I'll I'll ask you to share something that exemplifies this in a minute, but not to the exclusion of how very difficult it is for wives and children and everyone surrounding someone who dies, how difficult the feelings are. That's part of living the full life, too. I imagine you'd agree with me on that. Uh, Of course I do. I think the depth of love we experienced is equal to the depth of grief that we also experience. So we live a really broad emotional life in that way because we're really, really experiencing it with our five senses and with our relationships. Whatever emotion that goes with that, we live them all very amplified because we're living it super fully. Which, which is complex when you're living with, um, you know, pe- living with children who are, who are where they are so deeply, by and large. And uh, what I remember, of course, my, my wife died in 1995. It's a long time ago. But I remember if they happened to be in a deep grief place and I wasn't quite there at that moment, it was so difficult even though I'm very welcoming of, of feelings and all of that, uh, it was just hard to navigate all of us having feelings at different times and, you know, uh, right. kind of keeping the circuits open. Right. 
So to answer your question earlier more specifically, when I went to write the book, I thought, ooh, this should be equivalent to um, the what to expect when you're expecting kind of thing. And when you lose someone, there's like grief groups and you can go to religious leaders and therapy. And then there's this list of things that you need to get done. And I was just like, there's really no guide to this. So I thought I would write the what to expect when you're expecting book. And my friends were all over me. No, 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 you're not writing that. You're writing the girlfriend's guide to when you've lost a spouse and you need to continue to parent alone and be head of household. And I'm like, the girlfriend's guide, that means all my personal stuff needs to go in there. And unanimously, yep, that's what yep. needs to happen. And <laughs> so that's, part of that is like, well, what do we do when the kids are going through this too? Right. And how do we put surrogates in place so that they don't get involved in risky and dangerous behaviors? And how do we make sure that they move through grief and loss? And that's part of what a widow guide is doing that's uh, unique to this situation. So starting at the beginning of this process, you know, you're, you're um, kind of directional in the process mm-hmm. you invite people into. Um, and if, if it's a directional process, which it is and isn't, I suppose, the beginning is being shattered, yes? So maybe you could share, share your, your poem, Shattered, because um, I'm always keen on making sure people um, have access to, yes, you will have very hard feelings, and yes, you will find your way, right? <laughs> that both are true at the same time. So let's start there. Right. Okay. So Shattered was a poem that came to me. Um, My late husband was eating ice cream in the middle of the night, actually, in the kitchen. And it was very close. He was on hospice. So the fact that he wants ice cream in the middle of the night is great. But I heard the glass breaking. And it instantly, I mean, I flew into the kitchen barefoot. And it was as if it were the glass that was breaking when we shattered the glass at our wedding. Mm-hmm. And once I made sure he was safe and cleaned everything up, I went back to bed and this poem came to me all in and of itself, one steady stream representing all of that. So the, it's called Shattered. Shattered, 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 shattered. The glass tears at my feet. A burning reminder of the fragility of life. Life in balance. Balancing durability and breakability. Resisting the pressure to, dis- to persist despite its frailty. Sturdy enough to endure. Delicate enough to shatter. Shattered. Noise scaring evil spirits. Evil spirits daring to mar our joyous celebration. Waking me. Confirming a contract. A contract to walk on glass for you. Treating you with special care, special as you treat me. Shatter at her. Hushing me to sweep up so others are not hurt. Feelings are not hurt. No reminders of the loss of what once was, what will never be the same. 
I cannot, after all, put shattered glass back together. As this glatters, as this glass shatters, so may you never break. Reminders of sadness and sorrow, you pull joyful memories from a black bag to bring us back to the moment and forward together. Our life together is, dif- is as difficult to break as it would be to piece together the broken glass. Like glass, life is so fragile, so fragile that we should enjoy each moment as if it were our last together. Shattered, leaving me in shards of our first and last kiss of everything in between. Light redirected and refracted, sparks in every direction, leaving me with the responsibility, leaving me shattered. What I was thinking about just then as I was listening is um, to be in that space, which, which I certainly had my, my times with, Yes, and to and to also because there's your life as a caregiver before your life as a widow, and um, to be raising kids while taking care of someone who is is uh, getting iller and iller, as it were, yes. um, that's its own experience, isn't it? It really is. The way that we chose to approach this with our children, I mean, the way you do one thing is the way you do everything. And we chose to share with them at the appropriate level that they could understand what was going on. And when we first got this diagnosis, we made sure the kids had a really good day. That was our gift. And then we sat them down and we explained that we are a strong family together. And that daddy has this situation that he'll be going through and we are going to be strong enough to support him through it. And as things went on, I mean, my sweet son is, he wears his heart on his sleeve and while the other children at school were growing academically and socially, my children were growing spiritually and emotionally. Amen to that. (laughs) Yeah, Hopefully both at once enough of the time. but <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> and um, this was our journey. And it's, you know, it, when we look at other people, we may be envious and jealous of what could have been and should have been and, you know, what we're losing. And it was really important for us to have, like, again, the name of the book is Life Worth Living. And... We would have the experiences and adventures together that were plausible and possible at that point in all of our abilities. So let's let's come back to that, Michelle. Let's come back to that in a minute because it's time for a break, and I don't want to yeah. rush through it. Um, let's come back right. to talking about how to have a family life, both uh, when a family member is ill and then when a family member's died. And listeners, you can find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America. And you can find Michelle Hoffman by going to thewidowguide.com. And um, she's offered for you to um, download her book from there. That's also on the website. Be back soon. Mm 
Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. What sets apart voiceamerica.tv from the other video content providers on the Internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main voiceamerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Perspectives with Dr. Badisha Patel is a program that explores emotional management for a healthier lifestyle. On each program, we discuss ideas that support emotional well-being, such as mental illness, relationships, parenting, and family connections, and much more. If you are facing challenges in your life, you can grow and learn by exploring new techniques in dealing with stress, anxiety, and relationships. Perspectives with Dr. Vadisha Patel airs live Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Are you living a healthy and fit lifestyle? It's not just related to your physical well-being. It also means a healthier mind, confidence, improved health, stamina, and fitness. Talking with Tremaine brings it all to you. Host Tremaine Ellis, along with her husband and co-host David Ellis, will offer support, advice, guidance, and motivation to keep you in your best shape, both physically and mentally. Talking with Tremaine can be heard live every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 Pacific on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Be sure to like the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel on Facebook. You'll find great health tips from the experts. Find out more about your favorite shows and talk back to our team. Search Voice America Health or click the like button under the player today. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Michelle Hoffman, who um, goes by the Widow Guide and has written a guide for widows, especially widows who are also raising children. And before the break, Michelle, um, we were talking about um, the, the ways you live a full life in these situations of extremity, like living with um, illness in your family, living, uh, you know, living after a loss. And um, of course, that's where your book comes in because that's kind of your suggestions of how to try to do that for people experiencing what you did. But I was hoping you could talk some about the ways in which your particular family, because of course, you're particular, right? You have a certain um, uh set of community you have you come from a certain class or were in a certain class at the time you your your um kids were certain ages you know you have your own experience and i don't know how old your kids were actually when that diagnosis happened i i completely agree with you about the honesty part but could you fill that in more how 
uh, how you lived being strong together for that experience? I share that. I was, uh, was on the parents club um, board and I was in charge of putting all the events and activities together and I invite 300 of my closest families. So I do know how to, you know, invite people in, which is really important. But when you have a diagnosis like this, your first instinct is to just hunker down and mm. isolate and be scared. And it's dark and it's lonely and you don't know how to reach out. And fortunately, I mean, literally our brains will like pump or, you know, our bodies will be filled with oxytocin, which is the cuddle drug, so that we're not just stuck in this emotional side of our brain going, oh my God, I'm spiraling out of control. And you then, you know, will reach out for help and then balance out through the logic and emotional side of your brain to figure out, okay, there are practical and compassionate things to do to navigate this situation. And one, we needed to stabilize the kids because, you know, this was sending them off the deep end that their father was not going to be able to be the soccer coach and to take them out, you know, to learn all kinds of things. And in our case, um, my late husband was a computer wizard and he, you know, could do what he could, but the kids were like six and seven at the time and they were only developmentally ready for so much. Um, and so we would do things that would be appropriate for our family. Our family loves a good scavenger hunt and clues and things because we like those kinds of challenges. Those we could do together. We would, in an out-of-control situation, we found some ways of giving the children control. For example, we would ask them if they had a particular question, do you want us to listen, guide, or help? And if, you know, I mean, a kid is like, well, I just want you to listen. I want to make my own decisions. And so we just listen. That's a really hard one, by the way. And <laughs> then we look at them patiently and we take a breath. And then they look at us and they go, oh, I actually do want your opinion. Okay, guide. And so we say, you know, well, I understand your perspective and here are some suggestions. And then they go, okay, just help me. And it's like, ah. Then they've got some control in the situation. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if I could, if otherwise. I could magically, uh, I, I work with quite a few couples. If I could magi- magically give them one thing, it would be mm-hmm. that in front of every converse, every conversation of any import, that sentence would be spoken. And so oh, I wow. think that's something yeah. adults often don't. What am I doing here? What is my role with this other person? Right. You know, what are they wanting from me? No, we just launch in and sometimes we happen to get it right about what they want. And sometimes we get it horribly wrong, don't we? <laughs> so totally I like that. True. I mean, well, thank you. It's a really great tool. Um, and you just reminded me, I mean, there, I have so many, I'm like a jukebox of stories and parables and things like this. And early on in my relationship with my late husband, we learned that at least one of us needs to be happy. Because sometimes we do things thinking it would make the other person happy, but we didn't check in with them first. <laughs> you know? Like, <laughs> why are you doing this? I thought it was making you happy to do it for me. And then it was like, no, I was doing it because I thought it was making you happy. Okay, at least one of us needs to be happy. So, 
<laughs> and hopefully but, I mean, it's, a good share at the time. <laughs> right, right. But at least one. So that was a mantra that we went with. Another tool that, you know, we do these, we use these tools. I say use them for the children, but you can, of course, use them, as you're pointing out, in every relationship. And um, with the kids specifically, we talked about in the evening before we went to bed, some people do it at dinner, we did sad, mad, glad. And we just ask, what made you sad today? And then we'd listen and keep our mouths shut oh so hard. What made you mad today? What made you glad today? And this was a really good exercise because sometimes the kids would wait until the end of the day to prolong the sad, mad, glad so that they wouldn't have to go to sleep as soon. But we found out what they've been holding in all day long. And we wouldn't hold judgment. I mean, we could then ask, do you want us to listen, guide, or help? But we would also talk about what, us, what made us sad, mad, and glad during the day. And the, you know, we'd share sads a lot of the time, but the glad opportunity was so key because we could then use that as a parenting moment um, as here's what we were proud of you doing today. Here's the moments of truth that we saw you acting and behaving in a way that makes us proud. So you can really use these tools to show, you know, or to role model where your values are. And that was, that was really, it's something I still do with my kids. They're 13 and 15 now, and they roll their eyes at me that we're going through the sad, mad, glad. But you know what? They still enjoy the tradition. Um, well, that's, that's one thing that I think stood out in your book is that you, um, you know, I tend to be a little unstructured by personality. Mm-hmm. Um, but you seem by personally personality to um, be a little more structured, um, but structured about emotional content. Uh, you know, you have rituals around emotional content, which, of course, I don't know where you picked them up or how you decided to do them. But I could imagine that really helping bridge um, living with someone who is ill to living in grief, because then there was a continuity and the grief experience fit in that. Beautifully put. Thank you. Um, and true. So as, um, as things progressed, and my late husband was on hospice, we learned from the rituals and traditions that we did when we lost the dog, and we did the same as we were losing him. And when he had the energy to do the scavenger hunt and to play, we would do it. When we had the capacity to go for a walk, we would do it. And when that reigned in, we would, um, we loved to travel and adventure and learn about culture, but we certainly weren't in a position to do that at that time. And um, what we did do was we had a week of celebrating the world by inviting the culture and the food and the music and traditions and games right there at home. So we could adjust our experience to be full, even though we weren't actually going out and seeing these exotic places in the world. Hmm. And as my husband's, uh, you know, as he declined, you know, I would just make sure that he got to be out in the sun or I would like drag the oxygen tank out so he could sit out in the sun and keep breathing. And when that didn't work, we put on virtual reality goggles and 
you know, so it, every moment can be fulfilled, even if it's honey on the lips of my lover. And we, you know, we're around him, encompassing him, sharing stories that we literally pulled as I had in the uh, poem Shattered. I had prepped all these remember that time when stories, which prompts of amazing experiences we've had through the years. And so when things got really tough, I would pull out one of these little prompts and say, remember that time when we went sailing on the Aegean Sea in Greece? And we'd have something positive to talk about for a moment, even during the hardest moments. Um, And as he passed... Go ahead. ahead. Well, I was just getting a sense of him that, uh, and maybe I'm projecting because my, uh, my wife who died had this quality, uh, a, a very um, strong drive towards mm-hmm. fully living, um, maybe yeah. also enhanced by um, illness, you know, and shortness of life, but it wasn't invented by that because I knew her all my life, all my mm-hmm. adult life. Mm-hmm. Uh, that really helps with that sort of thing because the person is – the person who is ill is driving towards that as well. Uh, I, I have known ill people who don't do that, and it's it, then it's harder for everyone else to do it. But I think I'm getting the impression that your husband was quite good at that, at bringing whatever life was possible through the head of a pin. Yes? Absolutely. <laughs> I haven't heard that metaphor, but Absolutely. <laughs> And no matter what it was, we were enjoying each other and our company and the just the respect and communication and trust and life experience that we shared together. And um, one of the things that we did um, as an example of that, I mean, there's literally no word in the English language that represents when someone is comforting you for the grief of their impending loss. I don't know that word. So if there's a listener who knows the word, bring it back to us. Um, And so we had come up with the idea to create a legacy of love through um, a collection of future letters to the children. And this is basically an ethical will. And that's one of the things that he did as a gift to his, you know, to the kids and me in his future life. And these were um, topics like when you graduate elementary school, junior high, high school, college. Those were his, you know, he's setting his value tone there. And when you um, are really, really angry at your mom, when nobody understands you, when your first kiss, um, the first time your heart is broken, the Elijah oh, Bar and Bat Mitzvah. I well, I, I read those, and there was certainly not a dry eye anywhere. And he's funny. I mean, he puts the light and life in it too. And um, do you have some so, of those you could share? Because I think that idea of legacy letters. I've known many people that I've worked with and encountered who can't bear to write them, but I think they're so meaningful. They are so meaningful, and I actually have a really nice workshop and a really good outline if somebody wants, like, the um, Mad Libs version where you just have to fill in the blanks. 
If one of the listeners wants that, just email me and I'll help you with it. Um, yes, I have them in my book. The ones that are in the book are really about, you know, you know, when I have passed after six months, after a year, and it's his intention saying, you know, it's important to live. Fear does not serve you is like runs through my head constantly because these were in the letters. But the ones that I would love to share with you today are actually not in my book. Um, and they are the, the first kiss letters. And why I think they're so clever, um, well, maybe clever is not the right word. Why I find them interesting is because they're so different for each of the kids. And I print these out and give them to the kids when it's appropriate or kind of just before it's appropriate. So mm-hmm. to our son, he writes, um, when you give or receive your first kiss, go 90%. Let her come to you the last 10%. You pause with your eyes open. Look deeply into hers and let gravity do the rest. When you're ready for an advanced kiss, use a proportionate amount of tongue. Make sure you have been brushing your teeth before this happens, which means always brush your teeth. It's okay to put your hands on her hips or anywhere else on her back. You could even run your fingers through her hair and stop in time that she wants more. I'm like, wow, that was good advice. That was very specific. <laughs> I know, it was very specific. But I remember, I didn't know what to do with my hands at the time. You know, the big moment getting a kiss. Well, Not that you would have asked your dad. <laughs> <laughs> good point. But they don't have to ask him. He just told them. He he gave us his experience, strength, and hope there. (laughs) (laughs) And brush your teeth. (laughs) Yeah, that yeah got that in there too. (laughs) (laughs) No, always the parents' voices there. Now it's a little bit different for my daughters, and this makes me laugh because he says, you know, when you give or receive your first kiss, totally different feeling on this one. How fun. How exciting. What a memorable moment. It's the first time a boy has kissed you other than your dad. It's just a kiss. Don't fall in love. You'll have many more. Let him come to you 90% of the way and you meet him 10%. You can shut your eyes, but your mother often doesn't. Look deeply into his eyes and see what's going on underneath the surface. Try not to laugh when it's over. Your mother laughed after our first kiss. Fortunately, I didn't take it as an insult to my kissing and had the courage to ask what was so funny. She answered, my whole world has changed. That was a good beginning of a relationship. I'm like, (laughs) oh, my God. I think we have some things to talk about there after the break. (laughs) (laughs) listeners you can go to my website weatheringgrief.com or my good grief host page it has links to everything uh all kinds of ways to reach me to find michelle hoffman go to thewidowguide.com back soon Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent 
inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision-making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Over 20 million people in America struggle with substance use. This impacts both the people who are using and loved ones who are trying to help. Still, there is hope. Tune in to the Beyond Addiction Show with host Josh King. You'll hear from experts and get the real information you need to understand and assist in change. Change can be hard. It doesn't have to be confusing. Tune in every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back to Good Grief. I've been talking with Michelle Hoffman about her work and, and book, uh, which she calls the widow guide. And uh, you were sharing those delightful and very specific letters. Um, uh, your, the one to your son sounded like um, coaching <laughs> a bit. <laughs> and the one to your daughter sounded sort of like, um, woohoo, <laughs> you know, have fun. <laughs> Does that reflect their personalities to some extent too? of that um hmm. i guess it really does so he was really supporting the each of them in the way they needed the support one of the things that i still do but you know and especially for parents who have younger kids we do a lot of i call it play therapy but it's really not just play. It's what are your kids talking about and what are their actions and how are they when they are at play what are the topics? And those give the secrets to where their head is at right now and the struggles that they're facing. So, you know, this is a prep for when they're facing the, oh, my God, I want to kiss someone or I've just been kissed. How do I do it? Um, but the same held true, like, when we would play little games with the kids or just talk about whatever, and I'd hear their opinions on other things going on, and... I'm really good at listening to what's not being said to figure out what's going on and where their head is at for them. Um, and those are the kinds of things that, you know, it, to have a coach or a guide along the way on that is really, really helpful. I had a client who, I have a client whose um, son, you know, lashed out at her and she got upset and she came to me and I said, well, you know, that, but that's not about you. And she was feeling it was until I figured out what was going on with the kid, her son at school, where all the other kids were teasing him and he didn't know the right response. He kept getting in trouble, but he kept trying different things. So he tried it out on his mom 
And then she got him in trouble, and he was like, I don't know what to do now. And I explained, well, would you consider that he was trying it out on you to see how he should respond with these other people at the school? And she was like, oh, it's not about me. But sometimes you need to find someone outside. (laughs) Or it is about him trusting you to try it out. (laughs) Mm, Good point. That's true. That's true. But when you Uh get involved in the emotion of it, it's really hard not to spiral. And when you got everything else going on, it's like, So that's, I mean, it's a benefit to being able to have a book like Life Worth Living, a practical and compassionate guide to navigating widowhood and soul parenting, so that you have something, some tools when you don't have any more tools. You know, my husband passed. His last words were, I love you. I got a full and happy relationship with him. I'm a bereaved widow. Sometimes there are relieved widows that they needed to break away from that relationship or the role, and they're ready, but they don't know how to rebuild their lives. And, you know, I was in the situation after my husband had passed, and I'm like, okay, now what do I do? I'm going to need two full-time jobs, uh, or I can marry wealthy, but that's not really how I choose my people, or I can write a book and build a business. And as I was interviewing, I thought, oh, my God, um, I have to write this book as my legacy, as my heart gift to the world, to the people, you know, who don't have this guide like me. And, you know, I wrote the book. It became a number one international bestseller in four categories, women's health, child development, death and grief, and sociology of death. I had no idea that that's what was going to happen, that people are learning that, there is someone who can help you in what feels like a helpless, hopeless situation and you feel alone because there's, you know, grief is complicated and ambiguous. And even as you learn to live without the physical presence of your missing person, it's impossible to find complete closure and finding meaning in the relationships, value and touchstones to connect in your heart and honoring your loved one in a physical way is helpful to distance and reduce the aftershocks and discover your perception of what that loss means to you. So here I am in this situation and really what I had was this body of work and um, what inspired me to write the book in reality was that a high school buddy of mine who I used to go running with went out for a run and had a heart attack and died. And I thought, oh, my God, I don't know what to do. And then I realized, oh, my God, I actually <laughs> I do. do know what to do. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and I can't do nothing. So I got Chinese food and brought it over to his widow's house, which is what you do. And I told her, this is never going to be okay. I'm going to hold your hand and walk this journey with you. Let's project manage this thing. And all the mourners in the living room just sighed going, phew, someone who knows what they're doing is taking the lead here. And it was me connecting with her that inspired, you know, I really do know what to do. And then I was sent out to help all of these other people. And I'm like, you guys, I'm trying to find a job here. And um, I can't say no because this has now become something I'm really, really good at and helping to restabilize families and 
help parents who have lost a spouse figure out how to parent alone and rebuild their lives and actually have dreams of their own. So I'm like, okay, write the book. And so I wrote the book. And, and I, have, I want to say, because I, I, we're not going to go into all the details of it, but it's, right. uh, yeah. it's very, uh, you know, practical and emotional. For mm-hmm. instance, how exactly do you figure out what your next step might be? And of course, that's going to be influenced by access, by economics, by all kinds of things. But you really lay out some steps which, of course, would work at any time of life, but are more crucial when you feel like there's no ground uh, to kind right. of, okay, I could maybe do a little bit of this today, you know. Right. And um, I think you and I would both say we wouldn't be doing most of what we're doing without yeah. that experience. So in that sense, just That's the true. fact of our existence is a little helpful, I guess. Um, but it's but it's so common that people do find their way to something that's much more meaningful to them um, through a big loss, don't you think? Because why waste your time on anything else if you can manage to bring it about? Right. And we were talking about decision-making made easy and prioritizing what to excel at and when you found your passion for this one precious life and you've got a skill set and you can support your family doing it with a servant's heart, then that I hired myself for the right job. And that's, that's really what it is. And you're right. I've got the steps in the book and it would apply to any major life role change. If you change communities, there are things that happen that are different. And I've put myself through these steps many, many times. And you're reprioritizing what's important and where you need to focus your attention to get what you're going for. It's very goal-oriented. And, you know, if you change jobs, if you change... Um, by inviting family members into your life. If you are, you know, go from single to married, from married to inviting family, to becoming empty nesters, to deciding what to do in your retirement, putting yourself through these steps are really, really supportive in that. And, you know, it's... With the particular... the loss of who we were. Right. I would say what, what maybe is most particular... Uh, though, is um, your uh, kind of assessment of how to create a community that will be able to fill in the gaps, um, Mm -hmm. the different roles that you describe, I thought, were helpful. Um, And, you know, give people a sense of direction, like everybody is not going to be everything. What, what What do people have to offer? If it's a ride to the right. soccer game, uh, right. I, I also feel like you were pretty good at accepting all that help. It's like, bring it on. No, that was <laughs> uh, really Which hard. some people are, are not. <laughs> that was, I think, really oh, You skipped ahead on that part, huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah, I've got a couple of answers to your question. You're talking about building an inspirational advisory board, but one of the things I want to share is this moment 
that we had, we had like this really unusual moment when all these things were changing in our life and a friend of us said, I have a timeshare and I want to gift it to you. Go on a cruise, three-day cruise, go. We're like, just, you know, escape everything and have this moment. And we're like, okay. And um, I, so we were suddenly like in the dark of this teeny tiny room on a cruise. Again, the cruise, where I'm noticing a theme here. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I am just like thanking our community for helping us, whereas I am really very much a giver. I, my saying is give what you can, not more than what you have. Take what you need, not more than what you need. And um, I was just in my mind just showing gratitude for everyone who had helped us. And it's a total ninja super skill to be able to figure out who can help with what. And, um, you know, it's like some people, everybody wants to help and they say, oh, you know, let me know how I can help you. Well, oh my oh, God. So I unuseful, know right? <laughs> Come so back to really me when you figure it out. <laughs> right. Some people have resource and can support, you know, that way. Some people can support with a dog walk, as you mentioned. Some people who can make a meal. I mean, oh, my God, there was never going to be a meal on our table many of those days. It was so incredibly helpful. And so here I am. I'm in the dark and thanking everyone one by one through this whole itemized list for giving, you know, all that they could give. And I, it literally, my head, I'm like, I wonder what I could do to give back. And then there's this male voice booming from the dark. And it was the captain saying they had a guest who was in critical condition and needed specific blood. And I swear the room lit up with my late husband's smile going, you, it's okay if you get dressed first, (laughs) you know? (laughs) <laughs> Probably the critical condition is okay if you take the time to get dressed and give this blood. Because he knew I would do it. But it was such a, you can't give back. It's like the ocean, you know, the, the rain comes down and it flows into the streams, into the lakes, into the ocean. But the ocean can't thank the lakes and streams. So gratitude just do, flows You just do the next thing, Yes. You, right. you just do the so thing that comes forward. to you, that, that calls you to do. Um, right. there, there's a book called There's No Good Card for This, and, and they say never give mm. what you don't have pleasure in giving. Never give what's right. too hard to give. And I, I agree with that because it wears out, and it wears you out in right. the process. <laughs> right. Well, I thought gifts with strings, those aren't necessary. We're getting so, to the um, end of our short hour together, but I've really enjoyed having this talk with you. And there's, oh, yeah, of course, so a lot fun. more in the book. The book's much more than an hour, but um, I really appreciate uh, you coming to be on. Thank you so much, Cheryl. Um, Absolutely. Also, as a way to say thanks to your listeners, I'd love to offer a free gift at thewidowguide.com. T-H-E-W-I-D-O-W-G-U-I-D-E.com, where listeners... Uh, I'm going to have to interrupt because we're out of time, Michelle, but I'm sure people will go there. Thank you for this opportunity. It was delightful. You're welcome. Next week, I'll have Karen Trench, author of Love, Loss, Light, Illuminating the Path Through Grief. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Mm -hmm. 
Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.